we're going to continue our family series, Trouble and Triumph. Um, life throw, throws all sorts of curveballs at us, and uh, often it's how we handle the situation that determines how life goes for us. Recently, Sharon's younger sister, 10 years younger, had a minor stroke, and it threatened to stop her being at her daughter's wedding because she couldn't travel interstate. Now, by God's grace, after a lot of prayer, she made it to her daughter's wedding. But following on, she had a lot of tests, and the tests revealed a four-centimetre growth attached to her heart, which was compromising every beat. And had she not had the stroke, the experts said that she would most likely have had a massive heart attack, which probably would have proved fatal. She had a warning sign in her heart. I wonder whether we heed the warning signs in our own hearts. Have we got a clean bill of health in our hearts today? I want to look at two kings, not the book, but two kings of Israel. For one, his life went up. For the other, his life went down. Now, when we look at these two, they both had trouble, but one ended in triumph, the other in tragedy. Hang on, I'm supposed to have my little clicker here. There we go. Beautiful. Um, I'm taking the, the, the message from 1 Samuel 9 through to 2 Samuel 12, and I'd really encourage you afterwards, sometime this week, to read that passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel 9 to 2 Samuel 12, because there's so much that we can't touch on this morning. Can we find any, anything in their family history that would set these two men apart? They both had pretty ordinary beginnings. They were both from pretty solid families. They both started out developing a faith in Yahweh. Um, they both, it seems, had a humble spirit. Both were good-looking cults, we're told. Both had enjoyed a transforming spiritual experience. They were believers. So why is it important for us to look at other people's lives to get a clue how to live our life. Why are some people successful in life and others, it seems, attract every drama going and those dramas seem to crush them? We, we, we do know that some people's lives are afflicted by some pretty terrible circumstances. But to think that, it, that, that our life is just like a cork bobbing in an ocean of fate, swept backwards and forwards and sideways by every wind and wave, it's just not true. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. David, we're told, was a man after God's own heart. While Saul is largely 
forgotten in history. How do you want to be remembered? I've had a bit of a try at depicting what a heart after God might look like. Now, I got a bit of help, I've got to say, from Ben, and I'm not very impressed with his efforts. <laughs> so, so, Aunty Sharon, could you please come and help the younger kids? Because I want a better effort from you younger kids this morning. So, anyone who would like to do something better than what I've done and, and what Ben has done, basically, um, depicting David a man after God's own heart, please put your hand up and uh, you can draw it. And adults, if you want to do something and not listen, you can do it as well. <laughs> David's was a life of faith. But there are some practicalities to a life of faith that really give us signposts along the way to what a life of faith really looks like. I've chosen five verses that I think frame the message today and the young people are going to come and read those verses to us. Thank you, young people. Have we got a mic? Take it out, take it out, yeah. There you go. Go for it. Samuel 1, 13, 13, 14. Samuel said to the Lord, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people, because you have not kept the Lord commanded you. You've not kept what the Lord had commanded you. First Samuel fifteen twenty two. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey it's better than sacrifice, and to pay attention better than the fat of rams. One Samuel fifteen thirty five. Until the day Samuel died, he did not see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Sam Saul king over Israel. 1 Samuel verse 30 to 6. Um, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 2 Samuel twelve thirteen. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, and then Nathan said to David, The Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. Thank you very much, guys. <clears throat> okay, I'd like you to look out for those verses as we go through. Look out for your verse. Okay. I learn best when I've got something to hook the points on. Uh, I love a good acrostic. So here's our acrostic, heart. There are five essentials to a heart after God. These qualities don't produce a heart after God, but they are indicators or signposts of a heart after God. The first one, humility. 
Saul looked like a good choice. Um, He was small in his own eyes, we're told, um, when when he was anointed king. But cracks started to appear really quickly in Saul's kingship. He relied on the world's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. It happened, it started happening in 1 Samuel 13, but I'm going to look at something that happened in 1 Samuel 15, another event. He had clear instructions from the Lord. The Lord said, the Amalekites have been opposing the people of Israel. Go and destroy the Amalekites completely. And he had very clear instructions. You know, the word is full of clear instructions for us. But do we obey those clear instructions when we're given them? And sometimes the instructions aren't so clear. They're implied. How are we with with obeying the instructions that the Lord gives us? Anyway, uh, the, the cracks continue to appear and Saul doesn't fully carry out the mission he's been given. No, he spares King Agag and he spares the very best of the flocks. Now, who knows whether he was wanting to bring that back as breeding stock to, uh, to Israel. Uh, we never quite find out what the reason is, but he doesn't obey the Lord. And in 15, 1 Samuel 15, we hear some of the saddest words in Scripture. The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king. Does the Lord ever regret anything he does? That's for another day. Saul was deluded in his so-called obedience. I wonder if you transport what, what happened with Saul into today. It might be something like this. I've given up on that relationship. Well, why is their profile still on your Facebook account? I've given up on that habit. Well, why is it when I'm around you, I can smell substances on your body? There are obvious evidences of a lack of of obedience, but then there are some that are pretty subtle, aren't there? And uh, I think, if you're like me, we've all had those subtle disobediences or part obediences and we try and paper them over, don't we? And how do we try and paper them over? We try and paper them over by a sacrifice. Lord, I'm making this sacrifice for you and surely you'll be appeased by this sacrifice even though I'm disobeying you in this point. When I met Sharon, she drove a cute little, B- a cute little VW. It wasn't really cute. She thought it was. Um, It was weird. It didn't have a radiator. The engine was at the wrong end. It had six-volt electrics, and it sounded like a cage of cockies. Her dad had chosen this car for her, and I stayed well away from it because I just did not understand VWs. Um, But I heard... I could hear her coming a mile away, actually. but, But I heard one day that uh, a little light appeared on the dash. And uh, it was sort of a comforting light. Every time she started the motor, 
the light would come on and it would go with her on her journey wherever she went. <laughs> and uh, she was, yeah, she enjoyed having that little light on her dash. One day, the cage of cockies became a flock of corellas and uh, the thing stopped and was never seen again. There was a, there's, there's, a, there's a warning light in our lives, isn't there? There are warning lights that go off everywhere. And it behoves us to look at the warning light and to think, what does this mean? What does this mean? Saul did not heed the warning lights when they came on in his heart. And he went on to shift the blame for his disobedience to the people. He said, oh, the people forced me to bring back the flocks. It wasn't me, Samuel. It wasn't me that did it. It was the people. Do I want to obey him? With where my eyes wander, where my mind focuses, where my feet take me, what my hands touch, and what my lips invite. And even after all the deceit and the dishonesty and the disobedience, Saul really didn't get what he'd done. He said to Samuel, look, I've sinned, but please come back with me so that the people won't see my sin and they'll still see me as their king and they'll see your affirmation of my kingship. Even when he recognised that he'd sinned, he would not bow the knee. Enough about Saul. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. But enough about Saul. Let's look at David. Let's, let's get some positive news. David went, went out to the battlefield to take some food to his brothers and he saw that Goliath, the Philistine, was taunting the children of Israel, the, the, the armies of Israel, and no one, they were in, in dread fear, no one would stand up to fight Goliath. And David pondered this and then he had a job interview. He went to Saul and he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up to Goliath. But you know what he said? This is what, it, in, in my job, we interview many, many people for chaplaincy. And one of the questions I always ask them is, what attributes do you have that would make you a good chaplain in this school? And you know what David said? He said, the Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In his job interview, he said, oh, I've killed lions, I've killed bears in protecting my flocks as a shepherd out in the fields. But it is the Lord who has given me the strength to do this. I will go and fight Goliath in the strength of the Lord. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is true humility. And Proverbs 11.2 says, With pride comes disgrace, but with humility there is wisdom. 
Our second signpost toward a life of faith is encouragement. David was on the run from Saul. Saul recognised that David had been anointed as king and he said, I'm going I'm to kill David so that uh, he doesn't get the, the, um, the throne from me. And Saul was gripped with jealous rage and, and David escaped to the country and when the people knew that David was in the country, all of the people who, had, who were debtors, who were people in distress, who were discontented, all of the lowest people in society, if you like, all the people with a problem, basically, went out and attached themselves to David. Now, David could have said, you're a riffraff. Get out of my face. You know, I need strength if I'm going to build an army of mighty men. But you know what David did? He took these riffraff in and he encouraged them and he built a strong force out of the riffraff of Israel. What an encourager. And David, you know, David is the singer-songwriter of the house of Israel. He wrote over 75 of the Psalms. And what a, what a, uh, a collection we've got. What, a, what a, um, a, a, an inheritance he has left for the church in the Psalms that David wrote. Who have I in my life to encourage me? Who have you in your life to encourage you? There's one sitting right here. We've got a great encourager amongst us. Auntie Moore has encouraged generations of young people in their walk of faith. Thank you, Auntie Moore, for your faithfulness and obedience in the way in which you have encouraged so many. Are you an encourager? But there's more. There is more. There was a time when everyone who was a friend of David left him. Even his closest friends turned on him. And we heard that, that verse read by one of the young people. And they wanted to stone him because he'd made a strategic error in his leadership. At that moment, what did he do? David encouraged himself in the Lord. Some of your, your um, Bibles might have... David strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean for you? Do you encourage yourself in the Lord? Do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Do you know how to do it? Here is one way that helps me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Be always joyful, be always prayerful, and be always thankful. Are you always joyful? Are you always prayerful? Are you always thankful? Joy is an essential ingredient of a healthy heart. If you want to be strong, you've got to have a joyful heart. The joy of the Lord is your strength. David found joy in the Lord when the times were toughest. More than when the grain or the new wine abound, you have put gladness, you have put joy in my heart, 
said David. You know, when we come to the Lord, he puts a deposit of joy in our hearts. But we have to cultivate that joy. He doesn't cultivate the joy. We have to do that. And we can do that through his word, through fellowship with his saints, through obedience to him, through walking a life of faith before him. Be always prayerful. The Psalms, there are some beautiful prayers in the Psalms. Psalm 5, Psalm 8, Psalm 51. Be always thankful. Psalm 18 is a great psalm of thankfulness. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What about our attitude to authority? We've done humility, encouragement. A, attitude to authority. David had multiple opportunities to take Saul out. He knew he'd been anointed king. He knew he was the next king. He knew that, that Saul was living in disobedience and, and that his days were numbered. And he had opportunities. And his men encouraged him to take those opportunities. But you know what he did? He trusted God. Who is the authority in your life? Young people, can I talk to you for a minute? You have parents as a big authority in your life, particularly when you're living at home. But we all have the government, which sets the laws of the land. We have uh, our employers, for those who are employed. We have church leadership. But even more than these, we have God himself. How do we view authority? Now, it's a great Aussie way, isn't it? to thumb the nose at authority. And that does permeate our culture. And it permeates the culture of the church. Let me let you know. Do we accept authority only when we agree with it? Or when its timing meets our timing? How are we with authority when we don't agree with what they're doing? And how are we with God when we don't agree with what he's doing. Looking back at Saul, we see he compromised his obedience to God and then he tried to sacrifice his way out of it. But Samuel came in swiftly and said, to obey is better than sacrifice. The same applies to us today. We can try and sacrifice our way through when we are intent on being disobedient or partially obedient to him. Time and time again, the scripture gives us good reason to obey. Obedience carries a promise in the scriptures. To obey is better than sacrifice, that it may go well with you. So God is not saying... Well, I'm, I'm the king, I'm the creator, so obey me. And that's it. You've just got to obey me because, you know, I, I used to say to Emma, you've got to obey me because I'm the dad. Well, you know, it, it went so far for so long and then it carried no weight at all, let me tell you. Um, but here's a promise. 
Obey so that it may go well with you. Whoa! What a promise to us today. What a promise. H-E-A-R, repentance. There are defining moments in life. They might seem insignificant or they might seem enormous. But what happens next is fundamental to a life of fullness or a life of famine. One life revealed repentance heading to triumph. The other life revealed rebellion heading to tragedy. Saul's heart faded toward God and David's heart burned brighter. The wisdom of the world would say Saul acted pragmatically and wisely. He took the best of the flocks home as breeding stock or he took the best of the flocks home to make a sacrifice to the Lord. What a wise choice, a wise decision was that. And it came under the Lord's judgment. Because Israel had learned very early that the battle is the Lord's. Don't take control of the battle. When you're in the battle, obey him and allow him to bring the victory and allow him to do it his way. We are to be obedient servants along the way. Meanwhile, look at David. Now, he had a huge moral failure. We know he had a moral failure with Bathsheba. And the world would say that was heartless, it was unmerciful, it was selfish, arrogant and unforgivable. Well, it was all, it was four. It wasn't unforgivable because we have a merciful God. How does God view those two actions? He made the biggest failure of his life, a moral failure. You know, young people, I'm going to talk to you again. David consulted Yahweh in every area of his life, but for his love life. He took a number of wives, and it might make logical sense to you, just sitting here this morning, that, yep, I'll consult God about my partner. But you know what happens? Sexual chemistry does crazy things with us. Yeah, even I've experienced that. And uh, it, it messes with our minds, our bodies and our emotions. Young people, can I say to you, determine before you start getting into the dating scene, determine that you will consult the Lord on your relationships. We see David stays home from the battle. Now, the, every king led his people into battle, but David decided to have a bit of R&R. &R. He stayed home to relax while he sent his, his men out to fight. He saw a woman bathing on the roof. It could have stopped there, but he pursued her. 
Then he took advantage of it. Then he tried to cover his sin. And then when he couldn't cover his sin, he arranged the murder of her husband. Nathan the prophet came to David and told a moving story of a poor man who had one pet sheep and his neighbour who had hundreds, maybe thousands of sheep. And the neighbour's friend came for a visit. And he said, it's a, it's a time for celebration. Let's kill a sheep and have sheep on the spit. And instead of taking one of his hundreds or thousands, he went and took the one pet lamb of his neighbour. Well, David was enraged, absolutely enraged at what, could, what, what, might, what this person had done. And he said, how can this be so? This man must pay the heaviest of price. And Nathan revealed, you are that man. As king of Israel, you had all of the women of Israel to choose from. Yet you went and stole this man's wife. David's immediate response was repentance. I have sinned against the Lord. And then he wrote Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Against you, you only, have I sinned. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and give me a willing spirit to obey you. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You have, sorry, we're moving on. You may have heard it said, gratitude is an attitude. Some years ago, I planted a nectarine tree. And I duly sprayed and pruned that tree every year. And we had wonderful crops at least once every two years. Beautiful nectarines. Last year, we went overseas and I neglected to spray and prune. We came home to an empty tree. Not a single solitary nectarine on that tree. I had neglected to cultivate that tree and it produced no fruit. If we neglect our lives, if we neglect to cultivate our hearts, they will stop producing fruit. David gave special attention to thankfulness, even when every fibre of his being screamed disaster, yet he wrote some of the most poignant psalms. David could transport himself out of the now to what has God got for me in the future, the hope of his future. Can we do that? When the tsunami hits, can we transport ourselves in hope to the bright future that we know our Lord has for us? 
It might be just around the corner. It might be years around the corner. It might be decades around the corner. It might be never while we walk this earth. But there is a bright hope for all who have put their faith and trust in him. Will you this morning determine to be a David and not a Saul? And of course, as we look at David's life, we are encouraged to look at Jesus' life. Jesus, the son of David. Let's fix our eyes on him, the architect and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, kids, how have you gone with improving on my drawing? A heart after God. Do you want to bring them up here and show everyone what you've come up with? Just line up there, mate. Just line up there. Do you need to, just, to, to explain it? or? All right, go. Go for it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Here you go. Explain away. I drew a heart with, with a cross on it and then stairs leading up to the heart and God is like reaching out to people and there's a war on earth, the, the world of sin and... It's great. Thanks, Jan. Well done, mate. Um, so, a man after God's own heart would be that is God's heart, and that's David. Ah. God, David's in his heart. David in God, yeah. And God plus David equals love. Yeah. And pleasing. That's, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks, Anna. Elsa? I, oh. just, I just drew a heart with the um, hooks on it. So you just have to hook yourself onto Christ instead of anything else. So you don't get distracted on, it, on anything else. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, guys. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Notice in that verse I just read from Hebrews that he is the architect and finisher of our faith. He is not the builder of our faith. We are the builders of our faith. He has put a deposit of faith in everyone who has come to him and said, you are the Lord and Christ. He's put a deposit of faith in you, but it's up to you to exercise that faith. It's up to us to exercise that faith and to allow him to then to build that faith in us as we exercise it. So I encourage each one of us this morning your faith can look like humility, encouragement, an attitude to authority, a right attitude to authority, a repentant heart and a thankful heart. May God bless us all as we go out into this week. Let's pray together. Father, you are a good, good father to us. How we thank you, Lord. How we thank you for what you have done how we thank you for preserving the stories of Saul and David for us to meditate on and to recognise how one failed in his kingship before you and the other flourished 
in his kingship before you. Lord, what a, what a blessing it is to see David as the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Throughout this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.